talk, we're talking about gifts this morning. We've talked about the gifts we've got. I got this gift this morning. I got another, I got another gift on my body. I got a little knife here. It's fun to play with. I got some fun gifts as well. Yeah, the safety team. Um, why, this morning on our uh, couch, we had this conversation. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? And so I said, oh, you couldn't have asked a better question. I have a whole sermon for you, children. <laughs> so uh, we shared on the couch about some reasons. So God is generous, and we should be generous people. God gave us the gift of Jesus, so we should give gifts to others. Um, it's better to give than to receive. Violet told us that. She learned that in school from her teacher. We give because, hopefully out of a sense of gratitude, because of how much God has given us. And if we want to be like Jesus, we have to practice. You can't just play an instrument like that without practicing. And you can't very well live a life like Jesus lived unless you practice. So how are you going to become a generous person like Jesus our Savior unless you practice? And so I think Christmas morning is one of the opportunities we have to practice, to exercise the muscle of generosity, to give gifts to the people around us. And as we do that, we do that to honor and to celebrate the greatest gift that was ever given, and that's Jesus, who changed the world. We also give gifts because it's a pattern we see in Scripture. The wise men came to Jesus with gifts. So that's what I want us to see this morning. I want to read for you the account from Matthew chapter 2. You're welcome to read along or listen along, but this is the account of the wise men from Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are being no means the least of the tribes of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here's what I want us to answer together, is who, what, where, when, and why. Who were the wise men? What did they bring? Where did they come from? When did they come? And why did they come? All right, so if you're listening closely to the account, you can answer some of these questions. But who were the wise men? This is the first one we'll try to answer together. It's not so much in the text. It's a really hard question to answer. Sometimes we call them wise men. Other times we call them magi. We might call them kings in some of the songs that we sing. We aren't sure exactly who they were. But they may have been a special class of priests in the Persian Empire that have been around for a long time. Some scholars think that these wise men may have been following in an ancient tradition that was established when Daniel lived in Babylon. 
So let me remind you of the story of Daniel. Now, we just preached through uh, Daniel 1 through 6 recently, and so you might remember some of these stories. But if you remember, Daniel is living in Jerusalem, and then he was taken captive back to Babylon as a young man. And then we have the stories of his life in Daniel 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. But if we look at Daniel chapter 5 specifically, we begin to, uh, and it's the story of the handwriting on the wall. So if if you're here for the sermon, I'll just summarize it for you. There's a great king in Babylon, and he's pretty wicked, and he's having a wicked and evil party, and God descends from heaven in the form of like a hand, and it writes on the wall this inscription, and it scares the king so much that what does he do? He calls for his wise men. And so the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Because an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams and explain riddles was found in him. So a lot of scholars think that Daniel, who was the head of all of the astrologers and the astronomers and the magicians and all of those things that listed off, Daniel was in charge of them. Not just during this king's time, but even through his father, King Nebuchadnezzar's time. So for many, many years, Daniel had the leadership and the authority within this group of, we call them maybe wise men, but they were studied in a lot of different things. They read books, they studied the stars, they studied all the things they could study so that whenever that king called and had a riddle that he couldn't answer, a dream that he couldn't interpret, these were the wise people he gathered around him so they would give him the answers. Now, there was probably a lot of Uh, wicked ways that they found answers, probably a lot of ungodly ways that they were trained to find answers. But perhaps Daniel was able to exercise his leadership there and influence them through the teachings of Scripture that they had access to, and maybe they knew to expect someone to be born at some point in the future, and maybe they followed the teachings of Daniel many years after his time, and maybe that's where they came from, and maybe that's what they knew. We don't know for certain, but it's kind of an interesting thing to imagine. So who were the wise men? We know they were these powerful figures that came from the east. What were their gifts? What were their gifts? Who can shout out their gifts for me? Yes? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, gold. Gold is a precious metal that has been used for jewelry, ornaments, currency, and idols throughout human history because of its color and its shine. Gold doesn't really need an explanation for us, does it? But if we say frankincense, what is frankincense? Unless you're a peddler of essential oils, uh, I'll give you an, uh, you don't know. Um, It's an expensive fragrance or perfume that's made from trees in India and Arabia. Myrrh. Myrrh is a kind of costly perfume also made from rare thorn bushes in Arabia and Ethiopia. And it can be used as an anointing oil or as an embalming fluid. So throughout church history, we have uh, most people have understood these three gifts to symbolize three key elements to who Jesus was. 
So this isn't in the story, but this is some church tradition and history. Uh, So they think that gold points to Jesus' royalty. So he is the king of the universe, isn't he? And so he, if we imagine a king, we don't imagine kings wearing a plastic crown and a cardboard scepter sitting on a wooden throne. If we saw that, we would think, oh, they must be in a skit, or that's not real, because a king would never sit on a wooden throne, have a cardboard scepter, and have a plastic crown. If you're a king, then it's a gold throne and a gold scepter and a gold crown because we associate gold still to this day with power and wealth and influence. So the gold one's kind of obvious. Probably as the wise men brought those gifts, they were bringing gold to a king that has been born. But frankincense is where it gets uh, a little more interesting. Frankincense we're not so familiar with, so it's hard for us to wrap our head around it, but church tradition and church historians, they think that frankincense points to Jesus' divinity. If the gold points to his royalty, then the frankincense to his divinity, that he is God. And he came to fulfill some priestly duties. So, in, with frankincense, we can look back into history and see that they would often burn frankincense in temples of worship. Not necessarily just the temple of God, but also in false gods' temples. Frankincense was something that people would burn. But it was also burned in the temple of God. So if you uh, turn, I'll turn there for you, to Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 to 36, it mentions that frankincense was one of the things that was burned in the temple of God as they came in to worship him. So it says in Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 to 36, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum and sweet spices with pure frankincense and make an incense blended as by the perfume seasoned with salt, pure and holy, you shall beat some of it very small and put it part of it before the testimony in the tent of the meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. So we look at the frankincense and verses like that and we think, well, maybe the frankincense is the wise men, uh, maybe they're aware of it and maybe they're unaware of it, acknowledging his divinity, acknowledging that we would use frankincense if we were to come into a temple and we would use this aroma to fill the temple. Why? Because we're in the presence of divinity. Now, myrrh, we think, points to his humanity. Humanity. He came to die for our sins. It was a spice that was used in embalming. So that's the process that they used whenever someone died. They would use that to preserve the body to, in, in certain ways. It could be mixed with wine for a drink. If you remember Mark 15, 23, they offered Jesus some myrrh mixed with vinegar when he was on the cross. Myrrh symbolizes bitterness, suffering, and affliction. The baby Jesus would grow to suffer greatly as a man and would pay the ultimate price when he gave his life on the cross. And in John 19, 39, myrrh is mentioned as his embalming liquid that was used. Certainly, 2,000 years ago or today, if you bring embalming fluid to a baby shower, it's a little weird, isn't it? It's not a gift on the list. And so this is strange. And yet this is why, because Jesus was born to die, wasn't he? He was born to die to take away the sins of the world. And so as the wise men bring the gold, we think that that was signaling his royalty as king. 
We think that as he brings the frankincense, perhaps it was a signal to his divinity. He is God, and you are entering into his temple, into this home. And then his, the myrrh represents his humanity. He will die. He will be embalmed as his humanity. So who were they? They were men from the east, educated. What, were, what did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, now where? Who can answer this one? Where did they come from? The east. That's all we know. They came from the east. All right, who, what, where, when? Who wants to take a stab at when? William? One thousand eight hundred years ago, a one thousand eight hundred, one thousand eight hundred BC. Okay, that's a guess. All we can do is guess. We know it's after Jesus' birth. If you look for clues in the story, in verse eleven, the wise men come to a house. That's a little clue, because Jesus—they didn't use that word for Jesus' birth, did they? So this has to be some period of time where they get out of that guest room or that cave or that nativity scene and they're actually in a house when they visit. Verse 11 also says that they visited a child, which is a different word than baby. That's a clue. And then in verses 16 to 18, what we learn about is the tragic story of the Christmas story. When Herod learns that the wise men have gone away, he gives this order that everyone who is two years, all boys who are two years and old and younger are to be killed. So we know that the wise men came after Jesus' birth. Herod figures it out, and he's like, well, to be safe, to make sure that Jesus is taken away, killed, I will kill all of the baby boys that are two years and younger. So Jesus was certainly less than two years old, probably. So who, what, where, when, and why? This is really the important part of the morning. Why? In verse 2, it says that they came to worship him. In verse 11, it says, when they entered in, they fell down and worshiped him. Opening their treasure, they offered him gifts. Why do we go to Santa? We go to Santa Claus, if that's in your tradition, because we want to sit on his lap and tell him what we want for Christmas. That's why we go to Santa. Why do we come to Jesus? Well, some people certainly come to Jesus so they can tell him what they want. But that's not what we see from the picture of the wise men, is it? The wise men didn't travel all of that way to come to the most powerful person in the whole universe, in the history of the world. They didn't travel all that way and come that way to tell him what they want. They traveled all that way to come and to give him gifts. So when we come to Santa, we come to him because we want to tell him what we want. When we come to Jesus, we come with gifts. Why? Why do we come to Jesus with gifts? For all of the wonderful things he has given us. We come to him with a spirit of gratitude because he is the king, because he is God, and because he died for us on the cross. So when we come to Jesus, when we come to church, we bring our gifts, and that's been illustrated this morning for us. We give him the gift of our talents. If we have talents, then we give those to him. If we have our treasures, we give those to him. That's represented by those boxes in the back. We put some of our treasure into those boxes, and we give him our time, like being here this morning. We can give him our, our, our worship. It says in Hebrew thir- Hebrews 13, 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so that's what we've done this morning as we've sang. We have given him the gift of our praise. 
And so it's a wonderful thing we've done here today. In a similar way to the wise men, we have come to Jesus this morning, not to get anything from him, but to give him the gift of our praise, to give him the gift of our talents, to give him the gift of our time, to give him the gift of our treasure. That's why we come to Jesus. And it doesn't just have to be to church either. We're about to send you out of here. And as you go out of here, you know what you can still give him? Your time, your treasure, your talents. You can continue to praise him. When you go to work, you can continue to say, like, this work that I'm doing is my gift to Jesus. I'm working for Jesus. I'm not working for my boss right now. And so I'm going to give him my best. The wise men didn't give him some leftover change in their pockets, did they? The wise men gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him things of great, great value. And so when I go out into this world, I'm going to give him the best that I can give him. At my work, at school, at home, I'm going to give him my best. Because he has given me his best. And so as we go this morning, we ask ourselves the same questions. Who am I? Am I someone like the wise men who is coming to pursue Jesus? If I am, then what am I bringing to him? My time, my talents, my treasures. Where? Where could it be this week? Where could it be that you could meet Jesus when opportunities are all around you and why? We don't give him the gifts to earn his favor. We don't give him the gifts so that he won't be mad at us. We don't give him the gifts so that people will notice us giving him the gifts and then praise us. We give him the gifts out of gratitude for all the good things that are around us. And we are become so grateful for how he's blessed us that we are just happy to give him the gift of our work, give him the gift of our time, give him the gift of our treasure. So let's be like the wise men. Let's worship Jesus as the wise men did.